Welcome to The Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together yet. I'm your host, Karis, and the reason that I started this podcast is because the last few years have been a huge learning curve for me. Entering the world of work, moving out of my family home, trying, and often failing, to face up to the challenges of becoming a fully-fledged adult. It can be overwhelming at the best of times, and I hope I'm not the only one who feels like this. In fact, I know that I'm not, because I'm going to be speaking to a ton of my friends and people that I admire about the struggles that they are facing now, or have in the past, and how they are still able to absolutely smash life. If this all sounds a little bit too serious, don't worry guys, it's basically just going to be a safe space to share life's tragic stories. Today's guest is Simi. We've known each other since the age of 12 and she is one of my oldest friends. After uni, she made the very courageous decision to uproot her life and move to Amsterdam to pursue a career in graphic design. Now, she works as a marketing product manager for the Student Hotel, which is a new concept in hybrid hospitality serving as both student rooms and as a hotel. Simi! Hi! Hi! Oh my god, what a lovely introduction. You make it sound so magical, but we'll get into the real. We'll get into <laughs> I love how you start with the real shit. <laughs> to pursue a career in graphic design, that failed. But more about that later. <laughs> and now she works in marketing. <laughs> I just, you know, I thought like, just give the people what they want to hear, you know. Um, how are you doing? Obviously, we've already had a little small little catch up. Yeah, I'm doing great. It's so nice to, yeah, it's obviously nice to see you, but obviously to be part of the podcast after listening to it. I was just listening to the one with Ellie and Trixie earlier. I just missed Aww. it. Like, it sounds so stupid and so like, oh, I live abroad, but I genuinely just miss listening to English accents. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really? But don't you watch a lot of, like, British TV or, like, Netflix and stuff? No, I've actually just been binging Never Have I Ever. You've seen (gasps) Oh, my God, Simi, I am obsessed. I tried to get the girls to watch it. I was like, guys, I did not expect to love this show as much as I did. I am shooken. It's so good. I just love everything that Mindy Carding does anyway, but it's so on point. Like Honestly, I just love it. I actually cried a few tears as well. This I won't give any spoilers. It's emotional. It is quite emotional. It is really emotional. But I I think it was really well done. It was it just hit the spot between being like a stupid high school kind of comedy show and then just being something that everyone can relate to, even if you're not a coconut. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> also I love the have you seen the episode where to begin with and they're doing um the TikTok dance and I was like that is so well <laughs> did you see my birthday post for you on Instagram this is just like evergreen the, the video that we did for TikTok this just comes up every year I, I never will be embarrassed of that video because I still think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> but this, this is also a point that I, I think I made in your birthday post as well. But this is our generation's TikTok. And now when you say TikTok, who are 14, they, they think about the app. They don't know about the like that bloody masterpiece from Kesha. That, that was our childhood. And then I remember doing my teeth with a bottle of Jack and we'd be like, same. <laughs> Um, wait, so yeah, you obviously, I'm just thinking about your work setup. So you, even though you're, you guys don't have to do like proper, proper lockdown, you are working from home. Yeah, so it's not, it's not, I think it's kind of similar to your lockdown, um, but we just did it a bit earlier. Sorry, so like that is just the case. So we're able to- Oh, what? So- the UK being disorganized <laughs> and doing a shit job? What? <laughs> into it but even when earlier today you were like oh I'm going to do the NHS clap now I'm like oh that just like it's such a nice gesture but it's just like it's just like oh god it's just not enough yeah I actually been listening to so I've been like reading loads of articles where it's like yeah a clap would be nice but you also fucking like took all of our funding (laughs) you've like never appreciated us just like pay us a bit more money and actually appreciate us I know and everyone's being like Clapping with their um, what's it? They're like cooking pans. Like oh this is God. so. Cool. <laughs> I love this. 
I didn't realize that was a thing. And then, um, yeah, I just keep seeing it everywhere. But I saw this tweet the other day. I'm still on Twitter, by the way. But someone tweeted the other day, like, I knew that the British public was thick when I was in intensive care. And then on Thursday at 8 p.m., everyone got up and went to the window and started clapping for the NHS workers and no one said shit to anyone in the hospital. And I was like, that is just like the snapshot of what's happening right now. Everything is so like, it's just for sure. It's It's so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so misguided. There's just like, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I can say there's good intention there. I just, uh, it's just all an absolute fucking omni shambles. It's terrible. Like, honestly, sitting here in my house and like being able to do this, even even do this podcast with you. And then there's people that are like looking up to others in intensive care. It just feels, yeah, it feels like not enough. I don't know. Everyone seems to be doing it right but us. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. What the hell was that about injecting, um, injecting? I was drinking bleach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good times. I just like it must be such an interesting I would love a documentary on the people who surround Trump and just like the daily things that you know they have to deal with it's really bad though because nothing shocks anymore I like for example after 9-11 people cried for weeks people talk about it all the time now as well and rightly so but that was 3,000 deaths and now we have that many per day at some point that was happening and it's just like it's just relative. Everything's relative now. Like 52 deaths is appalling. But relatively, mm-hmm. to like 3,000 the other day or whatever, it's, oh, it's a good day. It's so bad. And like, it's actually scary to discover this about yourself and as, as the society as a whole, that this is kind of where you're at now. Like, this is your yardstick. Yeah, we're just like completely heartless. The one that really, like, actually kept me up last night, I was honestly just so heartbroken by the story is of um, oh, Belly, yeah. the woman who... Yeah was spat at and died I like you know when something really actually just like shakes you to your core I was literally just like I just I don't I will never understand people who who do something like that that is a full-blown hate crime and like he's a murderer whoever did it that he's a murderer and he should be put in prison like that is not like and she had an 11 year old daughter oh my god I can't even talk about it it just makes me so Sad, and to think that these are the people, these are the frontline workers in the NHS, and yeah. um, and just like not just the NHS, just generally, and they're the people who are like helping us to try and like continue living our lives in a you know giving us the small slither of like normality. Yeah, exactly. and then someone goes and does that. It's just yeah, like when you hear about people stealing or whatever else, you always try and understand what what's led them to get to that point. But with something like that, that is just a pure hate crime. Like there's nothing nothing that can lead you to get to the point where you spit at someone intentionally. Like that, I don't know. I just Yeah, it's disgusting. See, do you see what I mean now about how (laughs) how dark it's What is quality of life? Is it sitting at home or is it going and seeing your friends with the risk of dying? I mean, I'm totally in (laughs) 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 or is it hanging out with your base with the risk of dying (laughs) with a a small caveat that you could die (laughs) indirectly no that's not what I mean I mean for the generation so no but actually I was having this discussion with Yorick my my boyfriend and he was saying that like he spoke to his grandma. By the way, this is where the cultural differences come in because he basically said that she would rather um, she would rather just go outside and just live her life. And if she dies, fine, because she's lived a great life rather than being pent up in her nursing home. And I was kind of sitting there like, oh my God, really? Uh, but then like now I see it more and more. Like there's so many elderly people out and about. They just, they also mm, need a good yeah, yeah. life, especially at that age. I have to say... When you talk to anybody and everyone right now, it's just like full uncertainty. Everyone's in limbo. Um, I mean, like my personal experiences, I've been furloughed and unfurloughed in the space of like three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's like with most people as well. I've been um, furloughed or like their um, weekdays have gone from five working days to four working days. Or like the, uh, most people have had some kind of... Um, quite drastic change in their working lifestyle and then yeah it's just like and then especially because I work in a creative industry and I know a lot of people who are like freelancers it's kind of like them just being stuck like fuck I have like no security whatsoever I've got no 
I'm not going to get any jobs, like no income. So um, it does feel as though this is the perfect time to be talking about yeah. <laughs> um, how uncertain things are at the moment. Perfect. But also good. it's a good collective feeling because it's not as though you're, you don't have to feel alone like that. Like everyone is feeling the anxiety of not knowing what the hell is going on and like, exactly. you know, having all of their plans put on hold. Also one thing that um, like people our age might struggle with I definitely do is that you enter the job market and because there's such a scarcity of jobs or you know you you want to prove yourself and you want to be this person who is going above and beyond it's really hard to set a boundary between your value as a person and your value in your job and I've definitely blurred that line way too much in that I really like I've struggled a lot recently not to get deep but about my purpose and like I really have tied a lot of my purpose to my job and like a lot of my value to my job too to the point where if I do a project and it doesn't get recognition I'm so upset about it that I've even like shed tears over it and it's like come on this is a work presentation why do you care so much and it's because before quarantine may I add I just had no hobbies the center of my life is work and everything yeah around it and I had no I have no idea like really about the person that I am without my job anymore so in the quarantine it's been a really nice opportunity to kind of unwrap a lot of these um these things and really kind of look and like some passion yeah exactly because you've been doing loads of um you have been painting a lot oh I have it's it's so good um I definitely and I actually I, I I say to myself that I don't do it but I definitely still do where I'm like I've learned to let go of a lot of um like work stress because it literally used to like keep me up at night and I used to like anxiously look at my phone at like midnight and have messages from my boss and I couldn't switch off and I was just like working around the clock and I I I basically was just constantly thinking like someone else is going to come in and take my job so like if I don't reply to this message at 9 p.m I'm going to get fired which is such an irrational way to think but that's literally how I was thinking also I um I feel like yeah just like learning to let go of a lot of things with your job and realize it is just a job and like it's you know it's it's obviously so good to have purpose and like to find purpose in your work but then it's also really good to just be like it's a means to an end exactly. like you're making you're making money to also be able to live the rest of your life and not I've really like learned to not take stresses in my job I've really really tried I don't do that I'm definitely not perfect at this but I've really tried um <laughs> if you ask my housemates I'll be like you don't do this but I really try like it's so good that you also notice that because for me I think the biggest part was, as you say, the fear of getting fired, just because it wasn't it wasn't like I felt like I could just get another job here. I really tied my entire life here in Amsterdam to this job. And I was like, if I lose it, I lose my entire life, which is just not true. Because Yeah, like, exactly. It's just not true. And then you just like you're gonna in the end put yourself in an early grave just for worrying about it about the fact of getting fired and then in turn it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're not going to perform as well when you're just worried all the time about getting fired oh my god simi preach this yeah let's rewind and talk a little bit more about uni and your time at university and also your year abroad yeah and how you found that I literally did second year of uni went into the internship year and then after that um yeah came back so I came back from the internship year to uni didn't even have a day in between starting lectures and then before even graduating had started my grad job and didn't have a break for two years so that's like five years back to back non-stop working no holidays apart from visiting oh. I did it to myself though like I just have no I I don't need any kind of sympathy because that was completely self-inflicted no one was yeah, yeah. on my back like do not take a single break uh but I did I didn't but um anyway yeah sorry back to the- I think with that it's it's also I don't know if your parents were like this but like on my graduation day my dad was like so when are you getting a job I was like I'm lit I haven't even crossed the stage to graduate yeah dad I mean there's such a I was like give me literally half an hour please um yeah but I think there's a real like um a real stress that we put ourselves under to as soon as we graduate like 
oh well I, like I've got to get a job I've got to do this I've got to I've got to get on with my life yeah and obviously if you have that opportunity presented to you it's like oh my god well I have to like I need a job kind of thing instead of just being like I can take my time and figure out what I want to do what the right yeah. thing is for me I always have this internal struggle between wanting to enjoy my life while I'm young and see all the things in the world and maybe just make money as I go working in bars or wherever just travel a bit or mm. just setting up a life for myself while I'm young getting I don't know like a lot of experience in and then ultimately just having a nice retirement or just yeah yeah but I but I realized that if I did the first one if I was actually just to go fuck it and just go travel the world which a lot of my friends have done and I'm extremely jealous of and I think it's amazing I know myself and I would be panicking the entire time around the world about having enough money what am I going to do when I get back yeah and like looking at all my friends getting jobs and it's just not for me like I did three weeks in Bali with my brother last year that is my life like I would love to just take month-long holidays at twice a year or so and and just hold down a career because I'm actually yeah I I think that's the and I'm also just not a backpacker so I've actually never even dipped my toe into the traveling lifestyle in Bali me and my brother like I obviously he's a student he's 20 he's 20 years old and I've been working now for a few years so I basically um booked everything in terms of the accommodation um and then so we were staying in quite nice places and then at one place we met this guy who was and I'd just broken up with my ex-boyfriend so I was very ready to like meet new people or whatever did not think it through traveling with my brother in that respect but also did not expect to be dumb so <laughs> so too very yeah so yeah wait if you were <laughs> the world works in funny ways so I ended up like just newly single going to Bali and I was kind of like okay this is my time to like heal to meet some sexy surfer guys um and then my brother was just there next to me the entire time <laughs> and the <You're> like <laughs> And you want to go like catch some waves or something just like leave me be leave me be boy <laughs> the funniest thing is that like so the minute that we get into Bali we're, we're at the airport and we're we're going through the customs or whatever at the passport check and my brother goes through and then I'm next and he and the guy goes is that your husband and I was like no law <laughs> that's my brother can't you tell because we look the same we literally exactly the same <laughs> And I used to wear a swimming hat at school. That was my brother. Like that was him standing there in the swimming in the swimming changing room. But um, but then the oh guy goes, God. "Oh, yeah, are you sure that's not your husband? Because you've got the same surname." And I was like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, pretty sure. Thank you. Thanks for questioning that. Exactly. It was just the most surreal thing. And then the cherry on the top of the cake was um, we so we we actually tried to go to quite remote places as well. So um, it's quite. Yeah, it's quite touristy there, I guess. But we went to the smallest island every time that we could. So we were on mm. one of these islands, called, I think it's called Gilly Meadow. And we're arriving on the boat. And I look around and I realise that everyone's just like snogging or holding hands. <laughs> and then it's just me and my brother just like, so heat exhausted. Nice views. Just like, we're not even talking to each other anymore because we're pissed off and like, just <laughs> just looking like the least company people ever. Um, and then we're over the island and the guy over the, over the speaker goes, and now we're at Giddy Menno, or as they like to call it here, the Honeymoon Island. And me and my brother just look at each other like get us the fuck out of here and then we were stranded there for three days um on the like everything on this island is made for honeymoon so like you go to the, the hotel restaurant because there's like there's nowhere else to eat and they have love hearts and the napkins and rose petals there's candlelit dinner you basically found yourself in forgetting sarah marshall <laughs> it was so this is the thing like it was like yeah it was disgusting like I was just newly single and just so did not want to be around that is actually it was just so annoying so there's just couples everywhere um and then that we also didn't bring enough cash so there's there was one ATM on the island which was broken um and we didn't know this in oh, it was broken when we arrived so first day we were like fuck it yeah let's go release the turtle let's pay loads of money for snorkeling and then we go to the ATM and it's broken so we ended up not eating like a proper like we ate we would save the last of our cash to buy water and then buy instant noodles to eat every evening and that was <laughs> that was our honeymoon this is the life baby <laughs> like that this the- is it that was it oh 
So you did your internship and you did your internship where? So, so but yeah, so I studied graphic communication design, um, which kind of stemmed from um, this, like, I'd always been interested in building websites, probably from Tumblr, and then also just loved art when I was at school. Terrible at it, by the way. Like, I, I still do it, but it's... I thought you were really good at art. I, I, I like to think that, but actually, they, like... <laughs> And then I look at real, real Instagrams of artists. Artists. Oh, oh no! And I'm more of a like, fit, like a fake fartiste. Like a fartiste. I am a fartiste. <laughs> Art artist. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fake artist. Put that on the CV, hun. I. Hi, my name is Simi, and I'm a fartist. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's one of my masterpieces. <laughs> okay, sorry. You can have... oh, it took approximately half an hour to get onto fart jokes. <laughs> sorry, that was too funny. Yeah, so I studied graphics, but everyone else on the course, and me and Taylor were literally just talking about this yesterday, how bad I was in the first year. Like, everyone else had actually done graphic design before. I'd never even owned Photoshop, nothing, had no clue. And the first, the first assignment was to do a logo, a monogram of your initials. So I have, um, so Taylor, for example, he has TT Taylor Trotman, um, like so many, so many cool ones. I have SN, like that is a very wiggly shape and a very stiff shape. And mm-hmm. if you see the logos that I made, it was just hilarious. It was so bad. And so like my first year was just a joke basically. And then, um, yeah, I kind of just gave up and, and then in second year would just, party a lot and did not give a shit about anything but they forced I both yeah we both went down that hole in second year but um one thing was that when I signed up to do, to do this at these like to do graphic design I the the year in industry was such a side thing like they really didn't push it at all when we were applying and I really didn't apply for that we got back in second year and they literally sat us down and were like you should you should do this and if you don't then you're really like screwing up a chance to get good things on your CV here's a bunch of people that have gone to New York Amsterdam Berlin um just go and so we were all like fuck yeah like let's do this and so it really didn't even cross our minds until the second year um and we all started like getting our portfolios together and applying and it was quite nice because they had a back um a back catalog of places that old older students had been so we could contact them and be like hey you've had a student from my course before would you be interested in another intern next year um and so i just straight off the bat knew that i wanted to go somewhere abroad because the erasmus um internship kind of scheme funded you so you basically got paid 350 euros per month to move abroad plus you still got your full um, maintenance loan so it was quite good yeah I remember that yeah so landed in Amsterdam on a pretty big come down um <laughs> did not did not think it through that I was moving to a new country that I'd only been to once aged 18 which nice. spent the entire time drunk pretty much um so so yeah so that was pretty pretty big and then it was also like January here is brutal um and I think my theory is that whether it's just as bad here or bad or good here as in the UK but like the I really yeah but we feel it a lot more here so if it's raining we really we really get it because we're on our bikes all the time whereas you guys are kind of in the underground walking a bit I don't know you've cars there we don't have cars here (laughs) We actually you don't have a single car. <laughs> Yorick has a car, and like I don't know why, I just find it. Yeah, I, it's like the most undutch thing ever. Like no one has a car here; everyone's on their bikes, and it's amazing. The Dutch are so like innovative. They have this app called the Bone Bone Alarm, which basically, okay, so it's like a chart like this, and then it if you. It, if it's raining it has a little like big curve and you can slide it and see the time that the the rain is going to start and stop so you can literally to the minute be like you can send a screenshot to your manager and be like okay I'm not coming because in 15 minutes the rain's going to stop and it's completely legit like they'll be like yeah that's fine really yeah. That's the cult. What the hell? I know. I remember. Well, I said I'm not coming to work. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But like, for example, say you have an important meeting at ten with your manager, 
and it's about to torrential rain, but it's going to stop at 10.15, then you can literally say, screenshot and be like, look, I'm going to leave after the at 10.15 because the, the rain alarm is telling me that it's going to stop then. And they'll be like, yeah, totally, me too. No way. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing I think that I would struggle with is moving yeah. to a new city and making friends. I know it sounds so lame. Yeah. And like, we've done it our whole lives. Like you move to a new job and you make new friends. But for yeah. some reason, I'm like what if I don't make friends it's such a it's exactly. yeah it's a big worry that was my biggest worry but that like it was so easy and you do get such an adrenaline rush when you're in a new environment too and you know it's for a prolonged period of time like I think I, I was so excited to just be in Amsterdam it felt like a holiday the entire time I did my internships which was like nine months in total I stayed there um like in that period so it was just amazing um and also because you don't really think about it but you're moving over just with the intention of working so you don't bring any of your family like life consists of loads of different pillars work is one of them and you're literally moving over for just one and so you kind of have to build from the ground up all the others like more community and so it was so nice to be able to just slot into that um, and I think when, when I came back again to actually permanently work here, that was the thing that struck me the most was that none of them are there anymore. So it was just, um, it was really just me. And luckily I'd made loads of friends at my office at the job and I went back to the same company, at, um, the student hotel. Oh, nice. Okay. So we had like a little bit of a home comfort there. Yeah. And so it, it's still true to this date that most of my best friends here in Amsterdam are my colleagues or ex-colleagues because that's just how you meet people when you move abroad for work. Mm. Yeah. That's also what I find strange with Yorick is that he just is meeting people all the time. Like, oh, I'm just going for dinner with this guy or like going for drinks. And I'm like, how do you have so many friends? Oh, yeah because you're Dutch like if I was in London I like to think and it's probably not true by the way oh yeah if I was in London my social life would be popping as well and then it actually wouldn't at all but let's discuss um moving to Amsterdam for the second time yeah because you literally so you said that you actually moved before you even graduated. So you finished your degree while you were then also working. Yeah. That's just sounds like a really intense time. Yeah. Like, how were you able to juggle? You're still adjusting to, like, a new life in a new city, even though you obviously had been there for nine months before. And then a new job where you obviously want to, like, perform well and yeah. prove yourself. Exactly. So, so, so I... Then after the graphic design internship, went to go work in the student hotel and I had two managers while I was there. Um, So the whole concept is that it's a hotel, but we also have student rooms, which is actually like um, the core kind of, um, yeah, the whole proposition is about being a student forever. And so students live with us while they study, but then anybody can visit for a weekend as a hotel guest, like a normal hotel. So I was working in the marketing department as an intern between the, the product managers of the hotel and the student stays. So in March of fourth year, I got a, um, a text from my manager who was the student manager. And she said, look, um, I'm going to leave. I'm going to move to Munich. Um, they were discussing to put you forward for the job because because we're a hotel and we're a student accommodation. It's so hard to find this profile of someone who could kind of um, like be, manage that product in, unless they'd kind of been born and bred within the company. They had a real struggle to try and get someone in. So they really... Um, took a chance on little 21 year old me in just kind of throwing me into the the driver's seat there and and giving me the role of the product manager so I was going to work in the daytime for a job that I was completely underqualified for um and then in the evenings trying to work on on finishing my degree and then flying back every two weeks to do a presentation or to do an exam but then also coming back and working and it was just like so draining but I never ever considered it I was just running on adrenaline and yeah, like yeah. Got back into these for like two days my poor housemate Rachel I just literally one day upped and left and then <laughs> never came like I just came back for two days at a time it was crazy um oh. yeah but um but yeah and, and now I look back I'm like I should have really I should have really thought about myself first or like I, I at least considered my mental health or how it might affect me in the long run um in terms of how I put boundaries with my work but at the time I think when you're a graduate you just 
any job you get, you do, you like you you always feel bad to to negotiate because you're like I should be grateful for the fact that you've given me this opportunity. That you've given me this opportunity. Yeah, yeah exactly. To say it feels like jobs are so few and far between because yeah. so many people are looking for them that you're like a job. Yes, 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 yes. and you're like, um, oh my gosh, I have to say yes. I was so out of my depth and I was so nervous all the time about losing my job because my job was just my reason to be in Amsterdam. And so if I lost it, I'd have to go back and then start the job hunt again. And I had such a shit time applying for grad jobs. Like I think I applied to every ad agency in the world. And then I got through. It's impossible. It's impossible. I got through, I actually got through to the final stage of AMV BBDO and then um, did all the interviews. And then they had like this group interview day and um I I asked them for feedback afterwards when they decided to reject me and they were like yeah so um we we um we don't want to take you and that's because everything was amazing but your presentation skills were really bad and I like I don't yeah I'm not too my own trumpet but one thing that I know I can do is present and so I was Mm. sad about it because I knew exactly what happened and basically this is how cutthroat it is um we were doing a group presentation at that point so we all had to reply to like um address a brief together a group of people that had never met before all trying to get the same jobs and we made a script in the end to make it fair for everyone so that everyone could say their part. Um, and I was the last one to speak. So I was kind of wrapping it up. And so we were presenting and the girl before me said her bit and my bit. So I was just left there. Like how brutal and competitive is that? So I, I was left. So mean. I can't believe. I know. So I was just left. You'd give her a serious side eye. Like, I was like what the hell is wrong with you? Like, how dare you and that's when I knew that London was not for me because I was like this is just <laughs> that was a moment that was the moment I was like I am not like in this shark I'm not a shark enough to like cutthroat biz yeah it's just like cutthroat over there and like I with one thing I do like at first I really didn't understand the Dutch directness but now I couldn't love the fact that I started my career here more because you just people just tell you how it is whereas in London there's mm. so much like like so much like pussyfooting around people's like feelings and there's a lot of politics here as well don't get me wrong but every it's very like open book like everyone knows who's pissed with who and why and it's literally only in the past like few months that I've been able to look back and be like I'm so proud that I managed to get a firm and hold down the job. And yeah, I mean, like at the time, I just felt like it's such a huge achievement. Like, honestly. But it's so relative. Like, I I also, like, if if I was to transport back to that 15-year-old that went to the festival alone or whatever and tell her, look, you moved to Amsterdam age 20 and then you came back again, you graduated with the first, you did all this stuff, I'd be like, whoa, that's so cool. It's a lot to ask of such a young person. Yeah. And, like, I don't know about you, but I constantly battle with having imposter syndrome and I know this is like I'm sure everyone feels that way but like I was so in my head about it and I remember like in my first job I was just like constantly anxious like oh my god I'm not doing enough oh my gosh oh my gosh my gosh like I don't deserve to be here there are a billion other kids who have like gone to a film school who could would be way way better than me who know way more than me blah 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 and I was just like so nervous all of the time that um yeah, it's just, it's it's really difficult. Yeah, to... it definitely is. And I was known as being a really good intern, but suddenly in this new role, I wasn't being able to do it. So not only did I have like the imposter syndrome, but I also had the environment basically like, um, yeah, um, making me feel that my imposter syndrome was, was real because in every meeting, I didn't have the answers. And it, I now can look back and be like, that doesn't reflect on me. That's the, yeah. the environment that I was put into. Yes, yes, yes. And also, I think there's there's such a power in just admitting. I it's taken me such a long time to get to this stage, yeah. but um, there's such a power in just admitting I don't know. Exactly. And for such a long time, people would talk to me and use all of these um te- like so so much technical terminology and jargon yeah. and I would literally I just go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I would just sit there and I would nod and I would smile because I'd be like fake it till you make it I like I'll just pretend and then I would go back to my desk and I would look all of it up and be like what the hell was that conversation and now I'm like there is nothing wrong with just being like actually I don't know but I'm here and I'm all ears yeah. and I want to like understand 
there's nothing wrong with saying that but I was so afraid because I was like they'll know that I'm a fake and it's just exactly it's horrible it's such a horrible way to feel it is horrible but I also think that um me feeling that everyone was more experienced and and they knew better when actually because I'd done the internship there, I'd been there when there was very few hotels and I did at like looking back know better. And now I'm able to practice it and to like move forward and, and to, yeah, really perform better. But the first, but it's just like having that initial exactly. confidence to back yourself. Having that. And like, it's, it sounds really like, oh yeah, I need someone to give me recognition or I need someone to be nice. But I think now I don't need it as much. It still annoys me sometimes that like you work hard and then you don't hear anything, but that's sometimes life. But when you first enter, I think what's too hard is that people really look down on like graduates or like people that are in entry jobs or whatever, because they're seen as like lower in the hierarchy or I don't know, less experienced, but you need to treat them with kindness and kind of nourish them and, and help them to grow, but to also find their own way rather than just being like, oh, you don't know anything. Cause then that will stay with you for years. And, and our- yeah, it's such a dismissive attitude. Yeah. And it's just, it's so damaging. Yeah. And it's like, of course you're not going to know any of that stuff. And that's not a reflection on you. I always felt like if I didn't know things, it was a reflection on like, exactly. Yeah. My intelligence and like, yeah. The fact that, oh, like, you're just dumb. You just don't get it because you don't know when actually, it's like no no one would know this it's so niche that I recently um discovered the power of being like I don't know enough about something to have an opinion so just replying and saying yeah if someone's asking you to uh, make a point in a meeting or your what you think of something I've started now learning to say okay I don't actually know enough to make an opinion instead of saying something because it's expected of you and then it being wrong or, or, you know, you're making the wrong decision, just just speaking up and saying, I haven't, it's, it's fine if you don't, like, one thing that I found hard is that I felt like everyone had almost got kind of a pre-read or something before meetings, because they all just seem to be talking and know so much. And then as my time in the company's gone on, I've realised that it's all just coming right, like, in some places, in some out their ass. it's coming right out their ass because I've now been there long enough to know, to actually know. And so some people, sometimes people are speaking and I'm like, I know that's not true. You're just saying that. And it's so convincing, by the way, well done. But I actually know now, like after five years, I know. And that's not true. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'll see your bullshit, girl. I, yeah. There's just an element of confidence that has to go with it. I mean, it's just like walk it, like say it into it's true, like speak it into existence. Um, and people will somehow believe you. I mean, it's it's got a time limit for sure, that strategy, but you'd be surprised how many people get ahead that way. You, the last time that I saw you, you were just, um, it was Christmas time and you were just like talking about getting over your breakup and then oh, yeah. you were just meeting this new guy and now you guys are like so legit um <laughs> isn't that so crazy how long have how long have you in it Uric, isn't it you're it Uric? yeah so it's funny because um it's actually spelled j-o-r-i-c um but in dutch the j is is yeah so yeah same in German yeah exactly so like a few of my friends would be like oh Doric it's like no and you're like uh-oh oh my god no um, so so we met on our first date was on the 8th of December um which was like just before I went home for Christmas for three weeks because I was pretty in the I at one so I broke up with my ex and then I had like a month of being super depressed about it. I actually started going to therapy to talk to someone about it because it was it was not even just about him, but it was also the work stress and the fact that I was so overworked that I was like literally working through a burnout in the summer. I lost so much weight mm. already and then the breakup just like took the kilos off. Like I literally feel like I lost 10 kilos and yeah Mm. it just all became too much so I just I would just found myself crying every day which is so sad and yeah just like the tiniest thing like like someone would ask me if I'm okay and I just break down hysterically like the worst time it was just the worst time like my office isn't even far from my house and I couldn't even bring myself to get on my bike and cycle which is the best part of my day I literally would take the metro every day or even 
an Uber sometimes because I just needed to get there and just sit in my place. I was so down and so like looking back, it was so bad. And I didn't even want to eat. That just was a telltale sign that I was not okay. I know. Like one meal a day, smoking so many cigarettes, um, just not looking out for myself at all, like going out all the time just to just really distract from the fact that everything was kind of falling out of place. Like didn't have a anymore. Um like work couldn't couldn't have a control at work so I started like really going into my weight again because I'd lost all the weight and then everyone was telling me non-stop how great I looked which by the way just a disclaimer like yeah it's I know that everyone has the best intentions when someone loses a lot of weight but do always be cautious and I know I see this now in the news as well with Adele and everyone just being, oh god yeah everyone's just being so like oh wow she's done a great job she's also just been through a divorce like you don't know she it could be depression from the divorce or or something else you never really know so unless yeah I know so I think it's really it can be really damaging actually and I think people are really like careless you know I'm not blaming anyone everyone but just being so nice and like being so lovely and just saying telling me non-stop how great I looked and like this and that and it just like that was something that I could control at that point and so everything was falling to shit elsewhere and so I just basically went really into like um like the whole I wouldn't say um starving myself but definitely like very cautious of how much I was eating make sure I was expending most of it um and yeah, just just really obsessive behaviors. And that didn't really get better until the quarantine, honestly. Like it was even now, I'm still very aware of what I'm putting into my body and very cautious to not get back to where I was because I still have an element of like, um, I look my best when I'm thin and like people I know I'm very aware of it now, which is great, but I still have that. Um and I think one good thing with going to therapy and like actually talking to someone was being, I never spoke to her about this, by the way, even though it was going on at the same time, I really attributed everything to the breakup. And now I look back, I'm like, actually, it was mostly actually work because work yeah. was consuming me. There was no breaks. There was everyone looking to me for answers. And I was emotionally drained, but also just at some point, my colleague Florinda just would at me and be like, you speak and you can hear that you're broken. Like there's no, there's no energy within you and you've just dropped me. Oh. Like, people then started shifting to being more worried than anything. But I know it's no one's responsibility, but your own at the end. And especially when you've moved abroad and you don't have friends that you've grown up with or like friends that will take you to the side. Of- yeah, like those people that you would tend to rely on. Yeah. Like obviously it's not, a, it's not too far and like your people are only a phone call away, but there is something psychologically about that closeness of feeling like, oh, if I really needed to, you know, yeah. this person is and, like, an hour away. Good friends here, but at the same time, I mean, like, yeah it's it's not the same um because my best friend had always been my boyfriend and like he was like the one who I was telling things to and that's why confiding in yeah Yeah, because we were both expats and and we both kind of didn't have a huge network here um but so I think that's what hit me the most it wasn't the fact that we were in love and then we broke up it was more the fact that you're now kind of navigating this new place together and like everything had kind of hit crescendo in terms of um, work and other things like from this that are built up over years and years like you kind of sometimes had to take things into your own hands and be like okay this situation is not me and I refuse to accept that this will define me like this sadness or whatever you want to call it and how can I kind of see an avenue out so I I went to my doctor and I just openly told them and they immediately put me in touch with someone like a therapist and she was really helpful. Um, That's amazing. Like she helped me to untangle my brain a bit and to just to understand like triggers and signals. Like she's the most lovely woman ever. She really, um, yeah, was great. I also like went to yoga for a bit, like a very short bit just before Christmas time. And then, um, yeah, didn't, didn't get the membership again, but that's a different story. But uh <laughs> Because it's all just like so tight on your chest, yeah. isn't it? And you're just like keeping all of this stuff in. And then when you finally have that emotional release, yeah. sometimes that's like, yeah, once you open the floodgates as well, it's like you just start wanting to get everything off your chest and it yeah. just feels it's like such a relief. Yeah, exactly. It's also so ama- like amazing in yourself that you were able to recognize behaviors and like do that in, on like off of your own back because that's a really difficult thing for a lot of people to realize and have that self-awareness and I think that takes like a lot of maturity as well 
and like also taking myself to therapy and doing those things it made me proud of myself and how I was dealing with it for the first time and so I therefore didn't mind so much and coming back to my lovely boyfriend like that's also um kind of in the, the stage where I met him so so <laughs> So I used to just message. I had no idea why no one was replying to me on Bumble. And then on reflection, if it was Monday, I was messaging the boys, happy Monday. That's it. On Tuesday, it'd be like, happy Tuesday. And then maybe an emoji. It, like that was the extent of my banter. And I thought it was hilarious. I was like, how can they not respond to this? This is just gold. This is good. <laughs> yeah. So Yorick, my current boyfriend, has a profile where he he didn't have any kind of bio. He didn't answer any questions. He was just really giving me nothing to work with. Uh, but he did have some cool photos. Like he he was climbing um, Kilimanjaro. He was in a glacier in one of them. Um, so I just went full fucking force. Like literally, the first message I sent him, we laugh about it this day because. It was it was me just telling my life story and then asking 20 questions back to back. So I was like, hey, uh, how are you? I'm in Berlin on a work trip. Um, we just opened a new hotel here, just like telling him all this information that he did not ask for. And then just a million questions like, how was it to climb Kilimanjaro? Do you like the weather? Oh, are you more of a like a car guy or a bike guy? And like all of these things. And then the conversation just went on and him just basically replying to my questions and not asking any in return. But I did not give up. <laughs> and I went... You persisted and persisted. I persisted. I don't know quite why, because I also just didn't want a serious boyfriend or anything. But I just really persisted with Yorick. And, um, and then we met and I asked him on the first day, like, did you find it a bit much, the questions that I was asking? And he <laughs> literally did not hold back, like classic Dutch, so direct to this girl that he's just met. Like, yeah, I thought it was so, like, I just didn't know who I was going to meet. Um, so that's why we met because I was just curious as to like what you were like <laughs> and because you just bombarded me with questions and like, he would have to roll up apparently to, to, to like answer the rest of the questions because there was just so many and in my head I was like this is amazing like this guy's like replying so much so many messages but not knowing him now he was just being so polite because he's such a nice guy and just making sure he answered all of them <laughs> just like a tenuous task like what Okay, have I okay, questions three to six are done. Okay. And it's like Exactly. He's like, okay, like let me just do my chores. Let me just reply to this girl and then I'm I'm free. Basically met with me because he probably thought I would I would keep him hostage if not. And then it was actually an amazing date. So we arrived and um we just kept getting more and more beers and every time I'd be like, Oh, do you want to get another beer? And he'd be like, Yes, and I'd be shocked and he'd be shocked talking about it in retrospect that that we both wanted to stay. And we just had this amazing conversation. We had realized that we had so much in common. I remember kissing him, but then I asked him recently, like, how did that kiss happen? Like, did you try and get your hands on me? Like apparently I outright asked him, Can I kiss you? And then <laughs> at least consent. Consent was there. And then yeah, I love that. And then he was like, yes. And then I just stalked him in the bar. I actually woke up the next day and was like, I actually love this guy. <laughs> no, I knew that I knew that I really liked him. So I took the day off work and our date lasted into the next day. And so our date actually lasted like 24 hours because he just sat on my sofa all day with me. He had never seen Elf before. So we watched Elf together. Um, and then we... Oh my God. What a thing to experience for the first time. And then we were just like oh, on the sofa all day. And that was our first date. And we just felt like we knew each other for years already. So that was really magical. Aww. So I went home for Christmas. Christmas and he took a curry <laughs> sounds stereotypical maybe it was but he he made an amazing curry and um he wanted my mum like either it was going to be kind of borderline racist yeah. or really endearing <laughs> he made this curry and then I I think I tasted it and I was like oh that's amazing even my mum would love that like she's a great cook then he was like oh I can give you some um to take for your mum so I actually did she tried it and just fell in love with the boy and so I got him a present for Christmas. Um, so he bought me the Ostalengi cookbook, which he'd remembered that I I said on our first date that I wanted. And he gave it to me just before Christmas, which was so cute. Um, so I got him a present while I was in the UK. But my mum also got him a present. My mum, who has never met him, does not know him, don't think had even spoken to him on FaceTime before. They still haven't met, by the way. And she got him a vegetarian <laughs> cookbook because she knew he would like it. I love that. She knows him so well. <laughs> to be fair, he fucking loves it. 
And she even wrote a note in it for him. So cute, but also so cringe. Oh, my God. Turned to the, to, to the Netherlands, to Amsterdam, to this guy that is not even my boyfriend yet, and be like, here's your Christmas present. With a handwritten note <laughs> from my mum. <laughs> here's the Christmas present from me. And um, here's the one from my mum <laughs> with a handwritten note and, like, the love you and everything in the note. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, like, don't want to be too intense here, but, um, so my family love you. (laughs) Um, so Simi, we are coming close to the end of our conversation. Thank you so, so much. This has been so great. It's actually so nice because you're far away, but it really feels as though we're, like, really close Um, together. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to catch up. Um, so my final question to you is... Uh, well, actually, it's it's two questions. Um, what is the thing that you're feeling the most uncertain about at the moment? Mm, yeah, I think it's the same point that I mentioned earlier. Like, I'm a bit uncertain about what my actual purpose is and trying to mm. uproot that from where it is currently, which is really grounded in my job and in the productivity that I have there and trying to kind of carve out some kind of purpose besides any other external elements just within myself um and just trying to yeah also the whole corona thing i mean we can't ignore the elephant in the room <laughs> that is pretty uncertain the elephant in the zoom the elephant in the zoom indeed it's weird it's very strange but i am very grateful to the lockdown because now distance is not a factor in keeping in touch with friends whereas like you guys will go to the pub in london or whatever now everyone meets in an online space so i, I can also attend which is great yeah exactly yeah in a weird way it's bringing so many people closer together um and what are you feeling most certain about most certain Ooh, that's a good one there's not much to be honest but I'm definitely certain that I'm on an upward trajectory from where I dropped to the ground in August um and that kind of time I'm definitely certain Mm. that like each each month each week like I feel better and better about eating like all these different things I've struggled with I'm definitely like very positive about that I'm definitely proud of yeah (laughs) honestly you're like even just the way that you're talking about it and just like seeing you I can see that it's you're just like such a positive light and it's just making me very proud for you Simi thank you so much for being on um the podcast it's been amazing um and come back at any time um and and thank you everyone for listening um and like and subscribe if you enjoy it I really hate doing that last bit it always just feels really horrible I know I know you might find it cringe but I'm gonna do it for you please like and subscribe because (laughs) honestly like it like she is just the best first and foremost um oh thanks him (laughs) yeah five stars for me would would potty again Oh, thanks, Boo. Oh, amazing. Okay, this has been The Uncertainties. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.